This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted Pride of West London podcast and we are in the international break in October and thank Christ this international break has come because I think we need to regroup, sit back a little bit and come back again after the international break as a stronger force because we're not saying that we've had a terrible first start of the season uh, or first few weeks of the season but I think uh, what happened on Saturday when Preston North End came down to new Griffin Park, and I got it right as well, um, in the last 45 minutes when we absolutely collapsed, and we'll talk about that later, I'm thinking that a lot of Brentford fans are feeling probably a little bit down at the moment now and thinking that we need to actually kind of just like take stock and just get ourselves back on track because that felt like that things was just seriously getting out of control. But anyway, I'm going to pick things up now because I'm not getting depressed at all. It's the international window, which means that we don't have to talk about only Brentford stuff. We can talk about anything else we want. I'm Billy Grant and I'm sitting here in the virtual joint with my virtual buddies. Well, they're not virtual, they're real. And they're in their own virtual pods all over the place. Laney Lane, how are you? I'm good, actually. And it's a bit wrong because you said... You, you, you weren't depressed. I, I was actually depressed after the game on Sunday. I kind, of, I kind of slunk out of the pub where I watched it and I went back and I, I drank too much. And, um, and it was like, it, I just couldn't work out what the hell I'd just witnessed. And uh, I, think, I think most Brentford fans were feeling the same. I think there was a mixture of bewilderment and there was a mixture of anger in some quarters. Um, but it was just like head scratching, just how you know it seemed like a Brentford of a of a sort of well, of the previous century, the kind of stuff that we did back in the day. You know, we used to lose four four goals, four one, four two, quite regularly. So it's not like it was in that completely alien feeling. But in this day and age, in the modern Brentford era, it was almost unprecedented, and uh, I just I, I didn't really know how to cope with it. You know, but normally you could go and sit in the pub and kind of drown your sorrows a bit with your mates but it was it was kind of a bit difficult to do that in these little small groups so uh you know uh yeah so i feel all right now but uh it it took me 48 hours so uh you do you should i should be more used to it than this shouldn't i being a brentford fan but there you go you should do indeed, but I mean, just just and just for anybody who who might have been on like a space rocket or something like that, coming back from Mars and has got no idea what we are talking about, we're talking about the fact that Brentford were two nil up against Preston North End and looking like they were sort of cruising, even though probably two nil up was probably a little bit fortunate at the time, and then we collapsed in the second half where we let in four goals and we lost four two. But like I said to you, we'll talk about that later. And then we got Savvy Sav, the Sav 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 man in the house. Sav, how are you? Uh, I'm fine. I'm a little bit exhausted actually. Because uh, this uh, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Sunday, whatever it was, 
uh, run of games has, has actually been quite exhausting because I don't go to many away games. Uh, but I've been going to see my mates and watching it in the pub or people's houses every single game. And the wife's wondering, hmm, I didn't think football was really on. So she's wondering why I'm going out all the time watching football, So, uh, which is a lot more often than I normally do. So, yeah, it's, it's wearing me out and I'm looking forward to the international break. And so is the wife, I think. See, this is a weird one as well, Sav, because it's not like you're sort of kind of getting the vibes and the feelings that myself, myself and Lainey would be getting every single season where you're literally sort of kind of doing matches week in and week out, Tuesdays, Saturdays, you're going up into the country, down the country. And remember, like we're sort of messaging you um, when you're sitting back at home and you're in front of the fire, you know, having your cup of tea and just sort of thinking, what are these guys doing? You know, you're sort of doing your sort of kind of one or two, or you know, one or two away games out of the M25. But now, Sav, it's almost like the table have turned how does it feel yeah, exhausting as i said i'm just knackered you need to uh you need to ramp up your your match day fitness levels I'm, I'm, if i'm honest with you mate yeah my, my, my stamina is quite poor i must admit yeah i know but I, 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 I have to concur with bill there this is almost like this is like when you're like in a swimming pool and you're kind of just like doing the backstroke at like one mile an hour and spitting water out your mouth like like this is this is coasting mate you know we're we're, we're like you know no getting up at five in the morning to do stupid northern away trips no doing like you know radio shows on a monday up in london no midweek podcasts in pubs can i can i also point out that laney doesn't have to leave his room when he goes to these football matches was I have to travel all the way to, to where he lives. So uh, No, that's true. That's true. I, I, well, <laughs> so I'm doing the travelling. How, how dare you? I've been the perfect host. Yes, yeah. Well, <laughs> so if, you know, start getting used to it. Well, I'll say to you, if you're trying to get your fitness levels up, whatever you do, don't go to Pure Gym because they might not, they might not quite knit the nail on the head. But we shall move on from that. If you've been watching social media, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about uh, during Black History Month. Anyway... As we were saying, international call-ups. This is an international break, and there are a few international call-ups, or quite a few. Brentford, it's almost like international call-ups are not a new thing for Brentford anymore. Back in the day, you know, when we were in the old, was it second division or third division, whatever it's called, and we used to have our game as the only game that was cancelled in that division because we used to have kind of like, you know, Herman Herides and all sorts of characters called up for international games. We thought it was quite novel. But now it's not novel at all. We've got international call-ups of all sorts, not only from our first team, but also from the B team as well. And because there are so many players that are being called up for international, we can't go through them all. There's no disrespect to them. We've played ultimate respect to all of them. But we just thought we'd just pluck out a few which were quite interesting. So obviously Norgard, who is well, who's the top boy for Denmark when they played England. Uh, last month as well, you know, and they managed to kind of hold England down. And Norgard was the top guy who held out all these multi-million pound players, you know, playing the Premier League. And our old little championship player was the one that was just kind of holding fort in the middle of the of the park, which I was very, very proud of. But unfortunately, he got injured very early on in the Preston game, which again, we'll talk about a little bit later. So he's not available for Denmark in the midweek. But there was a little bit of a sort of surprise there where they swapped out Norgard and the Danes have gone in for Janssen in the midfield. Is that surprising for you, lady? Yeah, a little bit. It was, you know, as we saw on uh, on Sunday, he's, he's certainly not like for like. But uh, maybe they've got you know other players in the midfield that can bring the best out on him. You know, as you said, we will talk about what happens in the you know the the, the collapse against Preston. But um, yeah, yeah, I know it's great for the player. You know, I, I, I get the I get the impression that. Um, 
a lot of us think that Janssen's kind of like plays second fiddle, he's secondary, he's not, he's not as good as. But um, I, I, I think that, you know, he's obviously every bit, every bit is uh, prestigious to uh, the selectors for his national team. And just apologies there as well. And, and this is my fault because we've got so many Scandinavians. And it's not I made a mistake. There's Jensen and not Jensen and Jensen. And, you know, we've got, you know, Sons in the place. But, yeah, it's Jensen who's actually chosen for, for, for Denmark on, on well, in this, in, in this international window. So, uh, um, Sav, again, for yourself, were you surprised when he got chosen? Uh, not really, because I, I presume they're not going to play, play him in the position that Norgard would normally play. Uh, because, as we found out, <laughs> the other night that he's that is not really his position that he's much better further forward in the midfield but I presume they've got a squad of 23 and they'll just move them around and if he gets a game it will be in his preferred position where as we know he's he's a lot more useful Okay and also Fosu he's got his first call up for Ghana as well and I think this is I mean this is a bit of a move because Ghana have a bit of been a bit of a power horse in the African football game I mean I've been to see Ghana play live quite a few times the one game that I didn't see them play I was really gutted when Ghana played Nigeria down at Griffin Park and all my mates were going all of them the same were going I was going to come down in the end I didn't go and I heard it was absolutely brilliant a right old laugh really good atmosphere um, but I did go to Ghana when they played England at Wembley as well there's about, about 30,000 Ghana fans behind that goal and I was sort of sitting in the middle of them with my England shirt on, but I knew a lot of them. We had a right old laugh. They scored a, an equaliser. I think it was in the very last minute and it all went pandemonium shaped. But great, great little move for him as well um, for, for playing for Ghana. Laney? It's got to be really exciting. I, I, I am massively jealous of all these players playing for kind of the, the, the smaller teams, you know, not the, not the, not the obvious ones. Not, we get used to it. We get used to like most of our team playing for Denmark, don't we? But um, yeah, I, I, I just think it must be a very proud moment for him. Um, exciting for us again. I think there's another chance of going to the African Cup of Nations. Um, you know, with the more the more African players we've got partaking that, hopefully there will be a be a time where they you know they can actually fulfil that tournament again. Because a few of us went out, a few bees went out to uh, Egypt last year um, to see the the the, the trio of, of uh, bees that were on show there. Um, so yeah, it was uh, you know hopefully those days will return. So yeah, and, and as, you, as you said back back in the day. Um, we were just looking for, you know, one or two, you know, Icelandic players or what have you. But now, pretty much, if you're not involved in international uh, football, um, then you know you, you're probably not good enough to be uh, in our squad. You know, we we have come on leaps and bounds, and we have some of the most exciting players in Europe. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting how uh, we're now so much on the radar that you come to us, and then the international side start looking at you. Because Fossey's played in the championship before for Charlton, and uh, you know, and although we picked him up from Oxford, he's already been in the championship and you know hasn't got a look in. But people start looking at us; they look at our team. Uh, I know we're on Sky every every week now, anyway. So, uh, so maybe coming to us if you're interested in in becoming an international is the, is the way forward. So it's also not uh, normal now to watch any Sky game at all. Where, the, where you don't hear us mentioned, you know, watching the uh, the Aston Villa Liverpool game the other night, it was they they were talking about Brentford as much as they were talking about Villa at one stage, and uh, you know it's, it's 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 pretty much every single game. There's only a handful of teams in the Prem that haven't haven't got a, an XB. 
Yeah. I mean, it's funny you say that. I mean, my mother-in-law, who knows nothing about football at all, and I got a message from her yesterday saying, I'm sorry about Ollie Watkins. I just thought that's hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah, she could have only seen that on like, on Breakfast News or something, like you know. So uh, it just goes to show you... <laughs> you're, you're not you're not wrong I was around my mum having a cup of coffee with my mum earlier and she went oh Syed Ben Rama looks so much better without his hair blonde <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like what yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah as you say like properly properly on the radar when your mum starts knowing about That's the Brentford right, we're on the radar so and you're talking about Syed Ben Rama as well this is an interesting one because to be fair he hasn't played hardly any games for Brentford this season he's kind of come in on a sort of bit of a cameo appearance but still this seems to be good enough um, for him to be chosen for the Algerian squad for this uh, this window maybe they liked his Instagram films and thought actually you know we can actually kind of feature him you know and maybe some of the promo that we're doing over the next two weeks yeah he played well against Fulham didn't he so you know that's, that's when he got a start didn't didn't really do a lot when he when he's come on a sub but you know that's, that's a that's a big ask um yeah no it's, it's an interesting interesting time for Said. uh you know as you said he's the the, the transfer window went and went and gone or the first part of it went and gone last night he remains a B I just hope that we can uh you know he, he does I, I can't see a foreign team coming in for him to be honest with you I, I, I'd imagine that that means he's gonna stay at Brentford until January don't you well, no, the foreign window's closed. It's all over. So basically, it's now the uh, the English window. So it's the EFL window, which means EFL and the Premier League. So a Premier League team could still buy him, and if the EFL team has got enough money and he's got the uh, the, the inclination to go there, he can he can go to a, an EFL team. So it's it's pretty much the same as what it was before. To be quite honest with you, yeah, the the window shuts um, the day before our next game. So that's quite interesting that he's not going to play again, except for Algeria, possibly. To put himself in the window, so unless unless uh, you know there are clubs who are still seriously considering him, yeah, I think he might stay. Yeah, <laughs> well, nice. I mean, like I said, we'll see. I mean, the, the signs are better than they were a few weeks ago. The fact that we've played him a few times, I mean, I, I mean, I've got an argument to say that we also play him to put him in the shop window. If you're looking, at he's no good just sitting there and getting off ball. So you know, he's got to show people what he's about. Obviously, the fees too high. People don't want to take a risk on him. You know, obviously, people would buy him if he was 10 million. People would buy him tomorrow. You know, but the fact that we're asking whatever we're asking, people are a little bit nervous about it. Now, whether or not, you know, that means that we're going to still push it to the very end and sell him on the window the Friday before that Coventry game, or whether or not we say you stay with us and then we'll we'll flog you in the in, the, in January if when, when somebody's a bit more desperate, which is likely, or if not, you stick with us and then next season if we go to Premier League, you know the world's your oyster, you know. So at the end of the day, I think you know if it. So ben Rama and, and Watkins were always going to be two different players. Ollie Watkins did what he did. He scores a goal. He's a forward. You put your price on him. You know, you either pay, you don't. The interesting thing about Ollie Watkins, you know, I was speaking to a lot of my mates, Arsenal mates and all this lot, who had no idea what he was, even though he was like one of the highest profile players in the championship. And I was talking to him, I was selling him up, bigging him up, going, Ollie Watkins is brilliant, he's fantastic, he's going to play for England, oh, you know, and you're sort of saying to him, I said, I don't know why teams like you, you're so arrogant, you won't buy a player like him, you'd go over to Europe and spend twice as much money on a player you think's proven. He's gone now, smashed up Liverpool, they're all talking to me about him now. <sighs> oh, Bill, you know, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm a soothsayer, because we're all the same. It's just that we watch them week in and week out, and we know our football. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter how much, or how good you are in this division, there's a thing that I've realised. When you go to the Premier League, they still have got no idea. Probably 80% of the people have got no idea. Aston Villa fans, most of them are asking us, 
is that Watkins? Is he any good? And I'm thinking, you're only in the Premier League and in the Championship, what, a year and a bit ago? How come you're so out of touch? But that, that is the case. So you can imagine that you've actually got to be really, really good to get a move to the Premier League. And if you're kind of just good, it's you're seen as a bit, bit of a risk. There's two things I really do like about this Ben Rama and um, the Ollie Watkins actually sort of making an almost immediate impact in the Prem. Um, the fact is that Brentford do hold almost all of the cards in 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 the move. Um, they, I, you know, it's, there's absolutely no way that we're going to let him go on the cheap. We're not going to do him or any other club a favour. That's the one, um, and the two is that. We got a lot of stick, um, Watkins and Ben Rama um, and Waymo got a lot of stick for bottling it, uh, not turning up, whatevering in the, in the, in the playoff final. Um, and, you know, a lot of people did question whether our valuations or our rating of, of those players and the hype that was surrounding Brentford and them was justified and uh, you know the, the the amazing bit of business that is the 28 million rising to 33 million pounds for Watkins is is kind of it's been vindicated it, it, it's like he really is that good because he scored he really did score that hat-trick against Liverpool uh, the other night and he is kind of the fulcrum in in what is looks like shaping up to be an actually decent Aston Villa team this year they're, they're very exciting to watch I've, I've enjoyed watching almost every one of their games so um, you know so 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 maybe Watkins stepping up and proving that he he does justify that price tag it might help someone else coming in for for Ben Rama and paying that money you know I know I know it's not an exact science and I know just because of one deal goes through at that price that the other one doesn't necessarily do that I know I'm not you know I'm not naive but I just think that it, it was clear that although we didn't turn up at Wembley it wasn't all hot air we they, those players really are that good yeah you've got to look at it over a season as well haven't you if you look at what Ben Rahm and Watkins did across the season, then that shows their real value. And uh, I think once people realise that Ben Rama and uh, Mahrez um, are pretty similar players, and look what Mahrez has done in the Premiership over the past five years, you know, it's pretty impressive. And I'm, I'm sure Ben Rama is, is capable of reaching similar heights. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody comes in with the offer that we're asking for. We'll see, we'll see. And listen, just back to the international window, we've also got one other player and an interesting one, which is a player who's not been with us for very long. He's Khodos as well. And the Iranians have called him up. He's played for them before. They really, really like him. In fact, he played at the World Cup, so it's probably not really a surprise. And he's going to be playing for them, you know, if things go right, in this international window. So this is quite interesting, Khodos. I mean, we'll, we're going to talk about the Preston game in a little bit, to a certain extent, probably not too, too much depth. But, you know, how did you see Khodos... In that game, and do you think that you know he, he could shape up to be the player that we we want him to be? So yeah, no, uh, Hodos came on as a sub, didn't he? And uh, and you know we we were sort of chasing that game by then; it was pretty much all over, and we just um, we just went a bit weird in terms of uh, how we we set up because we just like threw a load of players on and uh, and were hoping for the best. Um, because I, I mean, I, I do have this problem, I think, with Thomas Frank, is that when we're chasing a game, his substitutions tend to be a bit um, odd. Um, uh, but when, we're, when, we're, when we've got a lead, I think we're, we're normally, his substitutions are 
normally spot on. So, but yeah, it, it was it was kind of a strange game for to sort of look at look at his performance. But I thought against um, Fulham, he was he was really good and made that uh, that goal as well. And I thought he he had a much better game there. So overall, he's he's looking like an interesting player, and I think he could be. Uh, could be a starter pretty soon. It's a shame. Talking of starters, it's a shame we didn't start the uh, the game on uh, Sunday with the same team that started the game against Fulham. To be honest, because we we looked that that looked a, a, a much more potty for it. Le- well, more potty, yeah, potty for it. Yeah, that's that's the, that's the let's go back to uh, yeah, potty for it is a very good way of describing it. Um, Godos, yeah, I've been impressed from what I've seen so far. I, I, I'm kind of a bit used to players being kind of uh, trickled in and, and kind of like you know not 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 shoved straight into the uh, the heart of the action. We, we we're used to players kind of being being sort of dripped in. So um, he he seems to be very much part of the uh, of the plans. So uh, I think we'll be seeing more and more of him in recent weeks. I don't. It doesn't look like he's going to be a fringe player. It looks like he'd be a first team regular, which you know is, is what we want. And he, he looks like he gets stuck in. Um, there's there's something about him. He, he he does. He pops up all over the pitch, and uh, you know I like that, that in a player. It's quite a good shimmy he did when, uh, like I said to you, for the goal as well when he kind of left the ball as well. That was kind of like. It was almost as good as a pass, wasn't he? Was that in the Fulham game? Uh, I think it was in the Fulham game when uh, with Hodosh in the middle. You remember when the ball came across, and then ben, I think it was it Ben Rama struck it in again. I, you know, I've, I've only seen the game live once. I can't remember, but I just remember the Hodosh shimmy, and then he left the ball, and somebody else banged it in the back of the net. Oh, so was that the fourth goal? Yeah, oh yeah, it was the fourth goal, wasn't it? Yeah, so the first goal. So yeah, I thought that that was good. That was really good. But listen, talk about transfer windows as well. Um, as we know, people are sort of holding on for the fact that, you know, they were worried that Ben Rama might leave, and he didn't so far. I mean, we've still got a few days to go. So uh, never they say never, they say, because we'd love to hold on to him. But, you know, it's not all, all over till the fat lady sings, as they say. But coming in, an interesting player that, again, we have no idea what he's, you know, what he's on about. So we're talking about these Premier League players who've got no idea about Ollie Watkins, who's all over the news. You know, it's all right for them, but they're, they're clueless. But for us, we are really clueless because we signed another player, which we go, oh, great, we got Vitale Hane, you know. But we actually really have got no idea, you know, who he is, you know, how to pronounce his name properly. <laughs> again, we're saying that with due respect just because we don't know, because, you know, not from his country, so we don't know the pronunciation. So we've had to do a little bit of research into that as well. And and what he does and how the fans feel of him or anything like that. So Vitale uh, Hane, like I said, we've got 22-year-old. He's a left-footed defensive midfielder, a German under-21 international. He was an original Hamburg youth, which <laughs> sounds like... Sounds like a proper firm. Yeah, that's right. Sounds like a definite <laughs> proper firm, like you know. But we should move on from that. He played for VFL Botcham after coming through the ranks at LB RB Leipzig as well. So he's at RB Leipzig for a bit. He went there as a sort of as a youth after coming out of Hamburg, and then he got sold to Bochum for I think it was about ninety, 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 ninety. Was it ninety thousand euros? I think it was yeah for Bochum and. Uh, he played for Bochum for the past few years. I did check up actually to see whether or not he played for Bochum against Brentford when I when I went over for pre-season friendly. Was it three seasons ago? Um, the season that David Button um, was it uh, was it Button? Yeah, it was Button. Kind of God was got he got he got he got outed. He was playing the game against Bochum and then all of a sudden, like literally, kind of like about a couple of hours before, we signed Bentley. 
and uh, that was when he was uh, he was he was kind of like you know he wouldn't sign a new contract I and mean, I think he was trying to be a bit clever and we just went and signed Bentley and he was like oh no I remember I went to him and goes what's going on mate you know he's like I've got no idea so I think that was the, that was the first move the pincer move from Brentford was like we ain't waiting for anybody we're just going to be signing these players up now and if you're with us you're with us if you're not you're not but coming back to that he didn't play for Bochum then so uh, not Bochum juniors. No, no, definitely not Bochum Juniors either. <laughs> he hasn't got a sort of South American streak to him at all. From what I can understand, he's more dynamic in his play, strong in the middle when it comes to duel and battling. And more importantly, he's the aggressiveness and intensity in the high press that Brentford need. And he can get around the pitch, which is quite handy as well, because he's a footballer, so he could actually run. Um, does he sound like the kind of player that we need, Laney? Sounded like the player we needed in the second half on Sunday, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it, 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 it does. It was good timing, if I'm honest with you, because you know Sunday did highlight some inadequacies. Maybe not inadequacies, but you know it showed up how reliant we are on Norgard. Um, and without him, we do need to have something in place. And sorry, and this, sorry, this is and this is because Norgard went off injured during the match, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, he, he took a he took you know landed awkwardly. I took a heavy challenge, tried to run it off. Um, it didn't. You know, I, I thought for one minute he was going to do that. He tried, um, but um, it was obviously decided that it was better to substitute him. And then um, you know, Jensen and Marcondes really didn't gel together um you know that's not their fault necessarily because you know they they <laughs> we weren't set up to play to play those two there and they 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 do have very different qualities than uh than Norgard so it's it's not you know you can't you, you don't press a button and you kind of morph into that player um they they, they have different skill sets and it's just the same with uh with uh, Thompson and and Rico, you know, it was a it was a very we 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 have the last two games, you know, the last two league games, we've have suffered kind of very important injuries or we've, we've you know fallen foul of them quite quite early in both of those games, and it has has thrown us um, the Mill game. Obviously, we lost Rico very very early and then uh, you know losing Norgard uh, in the first half against uh, against Preston it looked like we would have we looked like we sort of escaped it for a bit because you know you're right to say that 2-0 at half time was very flattering to us I thought they had two proper chances um, but we you know we, we, we fed Ivan Tony <laughs> really well and that that got that pass by Canos for the second goal was just simply incredible and Canos is a player who's been getting quite a lot of stick, I would say, in some quarters, which, you know, I, I, I do think, and we said this last week, and I think we said it the week before, he's a, you know, first half player in particular. But, um, you know, it, it shows you just what a, what an incredible visionary player we have there. And he's only going to get stronger. Uh, for, for me, I, mean, I remember like two seasons ago when we didn't have any defensive midfielders. And we were letting in strings of goals, weren't we? You know, three in ten minutes, and against Cardiff, I think it was, or Swansea. And uh, you know, so so then Norgard comes in, and we got used to having a proper defensive midfielder. So when he's not there, it's really, really noticeable because there isn't anyone in the team that can actually do that role. Um, uh, possibly Baptiste, I don't know. I haven't seen him in that position. So, uh, but he's he's not available anyway. So getting. Vitaly Janelt, or however you say his name, 
in seems like a very sensible idea because, you know, an injury to Norgard or whatever it takes, the Norgard's not there. We need someone there because we need to play that system because the whole front three and the whole defence rely on having that defensive midfielder to, to either, you know, break, break up balls coming to our defence or to start, you know, as a platform to move up, up the pitch. But even then, I think it's a big ask of the, the you know, the, 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 the Hamburg youth to, to come in and, uh, you know, to, you, know, you think Norgard's got all that experience and we've, we've waited a quite a long time to get a player like Norgard. You know, he's got that confidence through experience and I just, I just think it's very, very, you know, he's worth his weight in gold because to perform in the championship the way he does. Um, and I think, I think, again, he will only get better as well as the season goes on. Um, I think it's, yeah, I, I, I just think it's a big ask and I think we have to give players a little bit of time to come in and bed down. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, not, I'm not, sorry, I'm not expecting him to work out straight away, but what we need is somebody uh, as a deputy, somebody on the bench, because we looked at the bench on Sunday and we thought, wow, that's a really attacking bench. And the one player that we couldn't replace was the one that went off. And that, that just, uh, you know, just gives a good sort of kick in, the, kick in the stomach, I think. Exactly right. So listen, I mean, you were looking at the bench, but also if you look at the stadia, when Preston came down there on Sunday, you know, uh, stadium was there, you know, the seats were there, uh, which gave the impression that the stadium was full, apparently. Um, but there were no fans in the stadium. Um, but... There's been a little debate that's going on as to, you know, what's going to be happening with the Brentford fans. We were given the choices as to whether or not we could freeze our season tickets, whether or not we're going to take our money back, whether or not we're going to take a bit of money back and then hold our season tickets for the following season. So there's three options that we were given. And um, it came out today that 90% of Brentford fans, once given the three options, actually opted to freeze their season tickets. So, that, I mean, for me, I think that's really interesting because I think that what's happened is that you, you, you mustn't treat football fans as fools because they're regular people who kind of know what they feel and they kind of know what they want, but also they just don't want to be treated um, badly as such. And so, sometimes it just takes a bit of conversation and giving fair options. And I think fair play to Bias and uh, Bees United and all the people that went there and negotiated with the club to say, listen, you need to put some fair options out there and let's just let's just talk about some fair options and then we'll hand them to the people and see what they think. The options were changed, fair play to the club. They change the options, they put them out there and people have looked at them and said, fair enough now, I've been given the three options and this is the option that I want. And 90% of the people have gone to freeze their season tickets, which means that they can basically carry on their seat for next season, presuming that COVID is going to be over and we'll go back there next season and they'll take up whatever option they get this season, whether or not it's I follow vouchers or whatever like that. Um, it's a bit of a win-win situation there, isn't it, Laney? It's, I think it's a, a, a hugely generous gesture by 90% of the fans that have bought season tickets. Um, you know, I said last week that uh, you know it's, it's a it's a massively unsettling time for a lot of lot of Brentford fans, people that work at the airport. Um, there's a lot of jobs going. There's a lot of un, you know there's a lot of you know furlough in, ending in the end of this month. It's, it's, it's a time where you really want as much money in your own bank account as, as is possible. Um, and, I, and I think that Brentford 
football clubs should be hugely grateful, and I think, and I know they are. It's not, I'm not, it's not, a, not a prompt. I think they are massively grateful to for the for the massive support that Brentford fans have, have shown. It's still gonna, still gonna hit the club. You know, still, it's it's it's, it's, it's next year's money. Um, but I think, you know, assuming that football. Um, and fans are allowed to mix in the same environment in, a, in, in eight months' time. It means that we're going to be playing at a full Griffin Park, new Griffin Park next season. And, and Sav, I'm just going to say as well, because interestingly, you know, we've been talking about fans going back in the stadium. We were in a bit, bit back there for the Preston game. Not all of us, but people who, you know, a section of Brentford fans, maybe 5,000 or so, was meant to be the idea. That was piloted. And in the end, that was knocked because of the government new regulations that came in, which said we're not going to be trying this sort of fans in stadia business. We're just going to knock it maybe for six months or so, which really put made a lot of people a bit down thinking, oh, no, this is my outlet. I'm not going to have that anymore. But then the word has gone around that there's a possibility that they may try and sort of kind of limit the fans going into the stadium by actually allowing only season ticket holders to go to games. But that's only for local fans. So you can only be a season ticket holder if you are local to your club. Sav, your thoughts on that? Uh, Well, I I live local to the club, um, so that's nice for me. But uh, I also know lots of people that don't live local to the club who are you know, season ticket holders and have been for, for many, many years. So it's where you draw the line. And also, if the communication is right, if you can say why that's important, why, why have you just come up with this thing that you have to be local? If you can say it's because travelling so many distances on public transport or moving from one region to another, where a region where there might be a high rate, bringing it into a region that's a low rate, if, if you can make a good case for it, people will accept it. Because they know that you're not going to get 10,000 season ticket holders into that ground anytime soon. So there has to be some kind of method to, to limit. But it, it shouldn't be an arbitrary limit. It shouldn't be, you know, it should be something like a, you know, a lottery or, a, you know, a people's surnames A to, to M and then the following time N to Z or whatever. Something like that might work. But... The, the locality, you have to explain why. If you're going to do it that way, you have to give a good reason. So, OK, there's one of our crew. He lives up in Nottingham. He comes down, he drives down when he comes to the bees. He's saying to me, so you're saying to me that I, living in Nottingham, are going to be less safe when I'm driving in my car on my own, you know, completely and utterly sort of quarantined in my car, and I'm going to get out and go to the stadium, than somebody else who decides to walk down the street and walk past loads of people, or maybe get on a bus or a train to go to the game, and you know, and only come from two or three miles. And, and this is where it all starts to get a little bit grey for me. Yeah, that's why it has to be explained. I think we're, I think we're all three of us are in agreement that Exeter's too far. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely Exeter is, is definitely too far. Definitely don't want any Devonians coming along. And, and, and maybe Finchley. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, you know what I'm saying. So, but listen, we've got more to talk about after the break here. We're going to be talking about uh, the Push Up Brentford film. We're going to be talking about the big MIMO photo um, piece, you know, that, that, that that's on offer. You know, with, 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 you can have your photograph from, uh, from Griffin Park. We're going to talk about mm, the Preston game. And also, well, I think that's about it. So we're going to come back straight after this break and talk about all those bits and pieces so Preston came to Griffin Park new Griffin Park yeah, so you're waiting for me to get caught out there and um, they haven't won there for ages and are uh, Preston chums if you check out pride of west.london 
And if you check out the pre-Preston podcast, I actually met up with the Preston chums before the match. I did a pre-match podcast on the terraces of Corinthian casuals. It's hilarious. It actually gives you the real vibe of what it's like to uh, to be at a match. In fact, tell you something, I'm just going to throw a little clip in right now so that you can get the vibe of what it's like to be at a football match because we've forgotten all about that. So this is the vibe before the match and the, the Preston fans were saying... On the eve of Brentford playing Preston North End, I'm standing on the terraces with Preston North End fans, with Brentford fans. It is absolutely brilliant. I've got a massive smile on my face because, as you know, I love, as you do as well, being on the terraces. I'm here at Corinthian Casuals with the Preston North End Northern Casuals, who the guys that we normally drink with at the Globe and drink in the ground, and they come down every year. But because they couldn't come to our game, they thought, tell you what, Let's come down anyway, and let's go to Corinthian Casual. So the bees have come down. We've met him for a few beers. How much of a release is it to actually just be here on the terraces, in and amongst people who are watching football? I mean, I know it's lower-level football, but it doesn't really matter, does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, this is the first game I've seen since the beginning of March. Uh, I remember the last game I watched at North End, and we got beat. Um, it is. It's just nice to socialise with your friends, watch a game of football... It's just, a, you're a football fan like everyone, Billy. It's just, it's what we live for. At the end of the day, it, we like watching football. It's something that we enjoy. And it's, it's, part, it's part of our lives, isn't it? And, and for six months, it's kind of been taken away. Through no, no fault of anybody's. And it's been difficult for everybody because we all work. We all look forward to watching our team and, and seeing our friends and arguing and laughing and joking and, and to be honest, feeling sad and when we get beat. It's all part of it. And when we win, enjoying that. But we haven't been able to do that the same. But this is just, you know, it's a great release. It's great to watch a game of football, see a bit of an atmosphere and, and dare I say, have a bit of normality. How wonderful is it for you to be coming up here and on the terraces watching football? Well, Corinthian Casuals is it's a great football club, historical football club, my local team. It's absolutely brilliant to be back from watching the game in the stadium, from the stands chanting. It's just absolutely fantastic. And just talk to us, Chris, quickly about this Corinthian Casuals, because, I mean, you've been coming down here for quite a few years now. You come down here, everybody knows you. You're the Northern Casuals. Yeah, I love it, love it. It's surreal. It's a great atmosphere, really good. They look after us. We, we try and do a bit for them as well. We sponsor a player. We give them some badges and things. Great, back to the back to our right roots and fantastic. And North End have a lot of links with Corinthians, and we would love a love a friendly with these guys. Oh, you want to go? And you want to go to Brazil as well, didn't you? I would like a Brazilian. Yeah, that's right. Part of another casual. Just enjoy non-league football. And in the last few weeks, I've been to Colm, Longridge. Bamber Bridge, Kendall Town, love non-league football. So after that Corinthian casuals match, we went in that. We were quite confident as Brentford fans. And we thought, tell you what, they haven't beaten us for ages, as we said, for 164 years or something ridiculous. And we were 2-0 up at half-time. And we thought, ah, oh, this is easy. Good old Brentford, here you go. Fortress, new Griffin Park. And then something happened in the second half and it went all horribly wrong. Tell you what, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Let's listen to what the fans had to say in the pub after the game. I'm just stunned at the moment. It all seems so comfortable at half-time. Uh, Tunnel was a bit flattering, but we, we pretty much contained Preston. 
Um, took a couple of very good chances. Glad to see Tony get on, uh, get a couple of goals. I knew it would come. I've been saying for weeks. You know what I mean? So that was good. But uh, don't really know what happened second half. I mean, it just seems like we completely forgot how to defend. But why? I can't explain that. Like I say, I'm a bit stunned. How many points off the pace are we going to be, uh, you know, in two months' time? We've got to take two months to get playing again. It does every season. And it cost us last year, fundamentally, it's what costs promotion. I do have a theory on it. Uh, my, my view is, is that until the transfer window closes, uh, this club can never really settle down and get on with the season. Because you never know who's staying, you never know who's going. Um, and it's our whole business model. We always know every summer we're going to sell one or two of our best players and we're going to have to bring in to replace. And until that whole process gets sorted out, we always don't seem to really be at it and know what we're doing. Uh, and this season is worse because obviously the, the whole COVID thing, the transfer window is dragging on into the season a lot further and the instability around that whole thing goes on longer. So. Yeah, it's, it, I, I think, unfortunately, it's a feature of our entire model that there is this instability at the start of the season because we always have to rebuild every year. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of end of season when we played Barnsley. They just seemed to press better than us. We just couldn't handle a lot of the high balls in. And unfortunately, the second knockdowns killed us quite a few times today. Um, big shame, really, especially after that start. Just a silver had a great game. Uh, Tony, really pleased that he got his first goals from open play no Rico no guards gone off um, Sai not starting uh, Raya not starting you know but yeah really disappointing I've not seen anything in Thompson to convince me that he's good enough for this level we, we don't have a natural replacement for Norsgaard so I think when you pull those players out of the team it's going to make a huge difference but that doesn't excuse not being able to defend sort of up and unders and then knock down and then put into the net you know we had three of our first choice back four in the team and they should be able to deal with those types of crosses and those sort of balls so you know I think there's some excuses there but then there's some some of the defending is not excusable and that's not just come from lack of cover from Norsgaard we kind of started off like well and everything and then I don't know I just think kind of the defence midfield were very open I mean you've got like Jensen and Marcondes in the middle of the field and it's just kind of very open as soon as Norgaard goes off you kind of he keeps that defence together I feel and you know we haven't got Henry it's it's hard to watch at the moment I mean I don't mind Thompson I think he's a good kind of backup but I still don't think that he's the same as Henry he doesn't give that pace it was quite a shocking collapse but I think that's likely to happen occasionally um, I think we do badly miss uh, it, shows, it shows how how we rely on Norgard. Um hopefully this new signing will give a bit of backup in there um, but I, I can't see anything other than that being a one-off today I, I'm quite glad we got a break maybe because we could do with a little bit of work um, but yeah we'll, we'll be fine it's a one-off I, I I think even 2-0 up in the first half, Preston looked a bit better than that. So I think there were signs all the way through the game. But, yeah, you're going to get a blip occasionally. That's our blip. We, we were all over the place, weren't we? Yeah, and it shows you that normally, if a team plays very well against us, we've still got enough quality and, and just uh, a, a, a different 
a different dynamic that we can bring to the game that's still good enough to, to, to unlock and beat these teams. So without that magic, uh, without Norgard in the middle, it, it did unsettle us. Um, you know, that's not to say that we didn't score the second goal without him. We did. So, you know, it, it wasn't all bad, but it, it was just the second half, really. The, you know, half, to, half time came at the wrong time. No, it didn't really. It's just that we got found out eventually. You know, it did weaken our midfield. And there was a couple of times they just literally waltzed all the way through. I, don't, I think it was their number five. I just remember a run that he picked the ball up deep in his own half and he literally just ran unchecked all the way to our, our own penalty area. I think that didn't actually come to a goal, but there was a 16, 17, 18 minute period where every single time they got in our area, they scored and it showed you how fragile we, we can be still. So we're, we're way off optimum levels. Um, you know, lost to 1-1, one, one, drawn one isn't the start we, we'd hoped for. But I think, you know, I think the big positive really for me is that by the time we do play again, we know the squad we've got is the one that's going to last us through till January. We should have we should have a fit squad. I think Rico should be fit. I think Norgard should be fit, all being well. And the players that were being rotated, we had a, we had a you know, um, uh, an EFL Caribou Cup squad and then we had a league squad and we were rotating the ones that were in that weren't in that so I think everyone everyone that starts that Coventry game a week on Saturday is I, I think it will be a much changed team I think I think he does need to ring changes and I think that a lot of that attacking um, substitute bench that we saw on on Sunday they will be in the team hopefully yeah, I think we've got to be careful not to put uh, everything down to Norgard going off. Um, we were without Rico, and although Thompson did okay, Thompson's a, a, a good defender, but he doesn't quite have that Rico bombing up the line and uh, playing with his, uh, you know, with, with the midfielder and swapping places and getting to the byline. Um, so he doesn't do that as much as Rico. So, so Rico can actually push them back a, a little bit more. Uh, Raya as well. We all know about Raya's passing out and you know quick balls out and stuff like that. So he wasn't playing either. So it, you know there, there was a few people and Ben Rama, of course. You know how, let's not forget our star player. You know he wasn't playing either. So we we have to be careful that you know it was that it's a kind of you know, a weakened team really. Four good players out. Uh, you know for, for much of that game. So. Uh, but yeah, bad day at the office and it did remind me a bit of what was going on 24 months ago when we were letting in lots of goals in quick succession. Um, but yeah, bad day at the office, get over it. Two, two weeks to sort ourselves out and, uh, and uh, yeah, bring on the Coventry. I mean, bring on the Coventry. Let's bring on another little section now because as you know, we've, we've, we've been bringing in a few little people now just to give us a few little elements to our podcast and... Uh, this little section, I mean, it's an irony that Lamucci has gone from Nottingham Forest today. You know, Lamucci came down to Griffin Park and, you know, there's a few people that were just giving them a few little facts and figures about how Forest were doing and they probably didn't feel that they justified their position as fifth place in the uh, in, in the championship at the time and the Forest fans weren't very happy, so they called us spreadsheet winkers, as we are. So we thought, as part of the podcast, we'll get our own spreadsheet winker to come on and give us the statistical lowdown on Preston. Will, 
the spreadsheet winker is going to give us the lowdown on PNE. Spreadsheet Winker. This week we're going to be giving a rundown of the Brantford versus Preston game. It finished 4 2 to the visitors. At half time, Brantford's XG was 1.27 compared to 0.12 for Preston. Bees had 5 shots, of which 4 were on target, and Preston had 2, and both were on target. Despite having those two shots on target, they were struggling to get central shots in the penalty area. Those are the ones with the highest chance of going in, hence their very low XG. Main chances for Brentford, Tony's goal on the 8th minute, 54% chance. It was a move started by a great pass from Thompson to De Silva and a cutback cross which Tony slotted home. And then there was his second goal on the 43rd minute, 54% again after a great counter-attack move started by an unbelievable Canos pass linked well by Mbermo and slammed home by Ivan. Preston had no chances of note in the first half. At full time, the XG for Brentford was 1.66 and for Preston it was 1.91. Bees had 13 shots, of which 4 were on target, and Preston had 12, of which 7 were on target. Bees had no chances of note in the second half, reflected in the fact that we have the same number of shots on target at full time that we did at half time. Preston had the 4 goals. Sinclair on 52, it was a 42% chance, it was a cross in from the right hand side, knocked back to an unmarked Sinclair. His goal on the 60th minute, a 44% chance, it was a cross whipped in from the left-hand side after Mbermo was dispossessed, and Sinclair finished very well from a tight angle. There was the Potts goal on the 63rd minute, it was only a 6% chance, an incredibly lucky goal from wide on the left-hand side of the box. It's incredibly rare that wide, long shots like that go in. Maguire's goal on 70 minutes was a 60% chance, it was a shot from a corner where Daniels was obscured by defenders. So what were the key takeaways from this game? Two weeks ago, Tony missed two similarly good chances to the ones that he scored today. It demonstrates that Frank was right to keep the faith because the big man was getting good chances in the right areas and that paid off with two goals today. Bees won 18% less aerials than Preston. The most were won by Potts, who was a right midfielder. It suggests that we were out-muscled in midfield. Lots was made about the loss of Norgard when he came off injured in the first half. He was replaced by Jensen in a like-for-like swap. Looking at the past maps, credit to Brad at 52break on Twitter for producing those, Jensen failed to get the ball played forward through to the higher players like Norgard does. And that's how Norgard links up play. Jensen instead opted to go sideways or backwards far more often, limiting the chances we had to play through and create up the pitch. B still did have plenty of shots in the second half, but none were above a 10% chance and only 2 out of 7 were inside the box. 5 out of 7 were long-range, wide, speculative shots with a very low chance of going in. We couldn't create enough through the midfield by this point, so the only option was to go for worldies. All in all, a pretty poor second-half performance from the Bees and a very good performance from Preston. So that was Will the Spreadsheet Winker. Interesting facts on the PNE. I mean, the first thing he said about the, uh, Ivan Tony, you know, he scored a couple of goals which he missed a few weeks ago, and we, we, you know, we did right to get. I mean, we are never going to drop Tony because he's our he's our top player. But it's quite funny. There's sort of a few ironic kind of uh, 
chance in the pub when he, when he scored, a, you know, or when he missed the chances a few weeks ago, it was like, what a waste of money. And then when he scored the two goals uh, this week, it was like, it was, what a waste of money. Like, you know, again, you know, the irony, the football irony as we tried to transfer it from the terraces to the pub and, and people's living rooms and wherever else it is. But, you know, it, it definitely, definitely need to hold his place in the team. But, I mean, what other, what, what other points there from the winker did you think were interesting, Sav? Uh, I thought the, uh, the the first half stats where I, I felt that they had a couple of good chances, but they were just straight at the keeper. And statistically, they weren't very good chances. And in reality, when you look at them, the chances of scoring them were probably quite minor. Um, but uh, but second half... Less than 5% chance, I think, for those chances. They were really, really minor. Yeah, they, they were. Like, I mean, they were, they were kind of edge of the box, but, you know, sort of... Uh, Straight at the keeper, really. I don't know that that one. That, uh, the one that um, the, the one that was like it was straight at the goalie, but it was a. It was, I thought it was a decent chance. I mean, I don't know how that. I don't know how they come up with that because, like, if it, if the shot was, you know, a yard either side of of, of the keeper, I, I think you know, then you, you, there's a good chance of him scoring that. So. No, I I, I think I think it was far enough out, that the, and the, the keeper wasn't uh, blocked in his view. It was quite had a quite quite a good view of the ball. Peripheral vision. He, he would have, it wasn't that far wide, but uh, but I think he could have just yeah. I, I think it would have had to be a magnificent curling shot into the top corner to to beat a keeper from there. Uh, but yeah, uh, the you can see how the the stats change. But there's so many shots in the second half. They were just uh, carving us, carving carving through us at will, weren't they? In the second half, they had was it seven really good chances, and that's where they got all their all their xG from. And uh, we we did very little in the second half. But yeah, I thought Ivan Tony was great. I mean, I think as, uh, as as the winker points out that you know he had the similar chances to the ones he missed in the game before, uh, where he was getting pelters, and uh, but this time he was putting them away. I, I thought that was the big plus for me to come out of that game. Actually, it wasn't only the fact that he scored, but he actually looked really composed and he looked, he looked like he listen. I've arrived, and I thought that's that's what you want. Is like yes, I know I messed up a few weeks ago. I didn't score. Bang. Here's one, bang, here's two, Ivan. And also the goals were like prime position. They were like, you know, they're pretty much 50% goals. So basically there's a 50-50 chance of him scoring it, which is really high. And I know people think, oh, too much stats, but it's just kind of like you would much prefer your striker to be in that position than to be like, you know, outside the box to score a brilliant goal. But nine times out of 10, you get that frustration. Like, oh no, why did he hit it? Why didn't he pass it? Much rather him be scoring those kind of goals. And I'm thinking if he's... Even if he's getting chances like that every single game and he's got the confidence to put them away like that, that can only be a good thing. See, I, I, I like, I, I, I quite like XG to explain that. You know, it, it, I, obviously you use the analogy of back in the pub, but back in the pub, back in the day, we used to say, oh, about Joe Allen, he had a really good chance second half. How, how the hell did he miss that? Why, why not give it a rating? Why not? Why not give it a, a you know a, a degree of difficulty, a percentage of how, how you know how many of those chances normally go in? It's like you know we look at we look at stats, we look at form, we look at how 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 teams have come into a game. How did you get on in your last match? Who who which players are in form? How many goals they scored in how many games? We use stats all the time. I just think this is another, you know, metric just to, you know, you haven't you haven't got to literally buy into it, a hook, line, and sinker. But I just think, you know, it, it does help 
gauge how difficult a chance is, and, and for no, for no other reason, um, I, I think I think these numbers really do help in in working out, you know, how how good a chance and how many quality chances we create. Well, I mean, and then you're right there. I mean, if you want to put it in straight black and white, and the fact is that people keep saying, "Ah, oh, well, it's XG, and it doesn't really matter if it doesn't hit the back of the net." The fact is, when they're actually measuring the fact that we have we have in our database here taken a hundred people who have taken a shot from that exact position with a similar situation with defenders in front of them, whatever like that. And out of those 100 people, 40 of them have scored and 60 of them haven't scored. That, for me, is kind of quite a good indicator as to how good or bad a chance it's going to be. You know what I'm saying? And when Ben Rama takes a shot and you say, boy, I'll tell you something, for all 100 shots that we've measured from that and only five have gone in, that gives you a, a basically a real indicator as to like you know how much of a you know we thought it's a wonder shot, but actually listen, there's not many people can score goals like that, you know. So for, yes, you you are right, it is an indicator, and yes, some people don't like it, but at the end of the day, you don't have you could use it as much or as little as you want to. And for me, you know, I could sit down and I could now watch a match, not watch a match, speak to my Millwall mate have a look at these charts and then turn around to them and say, look, you know, to be honest, you look like you were really unlucky. You know, the other team had 18 chances, but to be honest, you, none of the chances were actually really high quality, blah, blah, blah. You had five great quality chances, didn't score any of them, you know, and they had one and they did. And they're like, oh, God, how do you know about that? But you could see that because the information is there. So, not, you know, listen, we're not selling, you know, we're not trying to oversell this, but we're just saying that this is actually a, this is actually a really good way. So we, we're grateful to the wink of sort of kind of, you know, composing this down and, and give us a really short, short summary of each match as well. The midfield is interesting what he said as well, that we were really muscled, out-muscled in midfield. And this is what we talked about a little bit earlier, especially when we were talking about the uh, the Genelais possibly coming in basically our midfield was 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 non-existent particularly in the second half yeah and I and I think you know Mark Ondes does get a lot of grief as well but this it's not it's not his game you know his, his game isn't to come in and um to to to, to take up the baton you know he, he 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 is a creative link he creates he creates chances himself he creates opportunities for other players um, you know, this, there's obviously some some people that don't get his game whatsoever, but you know he is a very regular starter for us, and I, I can't see that changing. He contributes an awful lot to that team, but he he's no more guard. Um, so it's it, it, it's very it's very harsh, I'd say. And I said it earlier to to kind of like um, to, to to blame too much. Uh, um, Jensen and and um, and Marcondes for not being able to plug the gap. It's just that's not that's not their game. The, the probably the, the the biggest fault is you know there was no one on the bench to come in and, and and do that job. There was no there was no like for like sub. But you know hopefully what this this signing will will address that. So if he's happy to come here and be an understudy, then then you know hopefully we can. You know, prep him to come on and fill that role as and when he's required. I thought it was interesting how they they uh, they showed how uh, Norgard's passing is normally forward, uh, whereas Jensen's was sideways. And that's the first thing I noticed about Norgard when he played in that uh, pre-season game last year against Wimbledon. I thought that that was fantastic the way he was just constantly just playing straight balls forward to our. Uh, further forward midfielders or people like Ollie Watkins who are coming back to, to get them. And we were just like 
cutting through teams like that. And obviously, when you got when you got a, a team that's pressing you, that's the kind of ball that's going to get past them. And when you don't have that, and you're just playing it sideways, they've got more chance to, to keep pressing and keep pressing. And that's where you then start making mistakes, and um, and you know you you suffer the consequences, don't you? Like we did on Sunday. And maybe we need to give Preston, you know, well, I know we have given them props, but maybe we need to give them a little bit more credit. You know, it was obviously, it was clearly a very mature uh, display by Preston North End, especially at 2-0 down, for them to have the belief and for them to have the wherewithal to, to be able to kind of like dismantle us. Um, you know, I, I know the first goal leads to the second goal leads to the third. The fourth was like a bit of a bit more of a fluke. But, you know, it, it really did zap us and it sucked the life out of us and it sucked, sucked the spirit out of the team and certainly did the fans as well. Yes, it did. So, listen, moving on. I mean, we've got a little bit of stats there, but we've got a little bit of stats and facts. We've got Jonathan Birchall giving us the lowdown on some unusual Brentford stats and facts in JP's Soccer Stats. This will probably change the title probably next week. We just keep rotating it anyway. Hi, Jonathan Birchall here. Lots of stats from the last couple of games. After 61 years of trying, we finally make it past the fourth round of the League Cup, and it breaks the record originally set by our fourth longest serving manager, Fred Callahan, at Nottingham Forest in 1982, and then equaled by Andy Scott's side at Birmingham in 2010. The Fulham game also saw Finn Stevens make his debut age 17. Not our youngest player in this competition, that still remains Paul Walker who, when he appeared against Watford in August 1976, was aged just 15 years old. Now to the Preston game and some less wanted records. It was the second time we'd been 2-0 up on Preston at half time and lost 4-2. The other was when Steve Perriman's side played them away in 1989 with Eddie May and Dean Holdsworth scoring. In fact it was only the 10th time in our entire league history that we conceded 4 or more goals in the second half at home. The previous time was in April 2007 when we played Forest under Barry Quinn. Thomas Pino and Charlie Ida put us 2-0 up after 47 minutes before the visitors scored 4 in the final 38 minutes. But it's only happened to one manager twice and that was to Harry Curtis. So it happens to the best of them. So it's JB's soccer stats. I tried to sort of tie it in with the music. That's quite funky. Do you notice that music? We're getting a bit funky now. We're going on the funk. You know, do you remember we used to do the, was it, we used to do the funk when we used to be in the, in, in, in the pubs? Uh, and the music was like kind of jazz and then we had a bit of funk. It was the, it was the distillers, wasn't it, in Hammersmith normally? Yeah, the distillers. And also the, the, the one in, 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 the other one in Hammersmith as well, the, 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 the one down the little, little like Black Lion Street as well, the little pub that we used to go oh, to as yeah, well. They yeah, used yeah, to have yeah. the funk. Yeah, we had the funk. We used to, you know, nod our head to the funk, especially the the liberal Nick as well, because I don't think he, I don't think he'd, he'd heard any music before. This was all new to him, wasn't it? Like, you know, so. Just, he's normally into classical, like chamber music. <laughs> Nothing wrong with classical music, of course, you know. So, as well, apart from the, those the liberal was sort of apart from us. those bootleg <laughs> cassettes that his butler buys him. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Chopin was like, you know, that Chopin guy, you know, who played a gig down at sort of kind of the, the, the Camden down in Camden a few years ago. Chopin, you know, the, the liberals knocking them out, wasn't he? But anyway, we move on. Uh, we've got the funk for you, and JB, yeah, James Brown, as you know, JB is giving us the funk, but that was the specials. 
as well. So we're mixing it up with a bit of old school and a bit of specials and whatever else like that. But interesting facts there from JB. The fourth round of the League Cup, he talked about one of my, I say, favourite games, but I had a game I remember when I was young. And again, a game that said Matthew Benham bunked off to go and see Nottingham Forest in the fourth round of the Cup when we got the train up to Nottingham Forest. And we got there at half time because the train took about eight hours to get there. I remember that one. We talked about that before on the uh, some other podcast. I can't remember what it was. But um, yes, that was, a, that was the first time we'd ever got to the fourth round of the Cup. And obviously, Birmingham City when we took about it felt like about 5 million fans <laughs> up to Birmingham and they were completely confused as to why these rabid Brentford fans had turned up on a Tuesday night and were going absolutely bonkers you know in the stand behind the goal because they'd forgotten us years and years ago when of the rivalry that we had over the years but the Brentford fans seemed to never forget you know the Fulham or the Brentford the Birmingham City rivalry and that was one where the pottiness was just intense and uh, that was actually a brilliant night, wasn't it? Even though we lost. Well, I, I, the thing I remember most about that night is almost breaking my neck on the uh, on the the ice rink of a kind of forecourt. It was like the slip, the slippiest. Like it was, it was a rainy night, and I honestly, it was like Torvald Dean. I, I was like, I was skating across the uh, the forecourt down there. But uh, yeah, and then Kevin Phillips, he he really did hurt us right at the end, didn't he? 90th minute he scored the equaliser it went to penalties um, bit of a gutter that was I mean when we scored it was absolute pandemonium um, after the game there's helicopters outside and all sorts I remember it, it really was kind of it just was one of those days it was just it was quite was it like was it like Vietnam it was, it was definitely there was definitely <laughs> some sort of malarkey that was taking place on that evening so um, yeah and that was sort of the first sort of introduction of our reintroduction to reintroduction reintroduction to Birmingham City who a few years later we came back and started playing them again and then we played them again and again and the song started again but different type of songs with us in Birmingham City but also what else was um, JB talking about there he talked about Finn Stevens the young very very young Brentford player making his debut for us in the cup but he said he wasn't the first one it was Paul Walker and I, I vaguely remember Paul Walker but I don't remember him when he was so young because he made his debut at 16 but he was you surely he was still playing for us four years later, wasn't he? In the in the early eighties. Yeah, he was still he was yeah, he was still a kid, like late seventies, early eighties, yeah, he was still very young. And Danny Danny Salmon as well was another very young player to make a debut for Brentford. So yeah, it was yeah, Paul Paul Walker with with his little wedge. Right. He was uh yeah, he was Oh, we always get him down for a social, yeah, actually. Gosh, I think you should do that. I think, I think his wedge might have gone by now, actually. I put, put a lot of money that there's no wedge left with Paul Walker at all. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and who's the other player with a the wedge? There was the, uh, the, 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 he became a postman as well. He's a defender. Tony Spencer. Tony Spencer, that's it. We used to actually sing to him hey, on the terraces. You wedge, <laughs> you wedge, you wedge, you wedge, which is, uh, which is quite a rubbish song as well. It's, it, it, as you will see on the Pish Up Brentford documentary there was a few rubbish songs that were sung in the day and we'll be talking about that a little bit later a nice little link but Vincent Stevens came from Worthing and he, he made his debut for Worthing when he was 16 years old and uh, then he made his he got in the first team like about a year later he's going to be very good all our Worthing chums because we've got chums up and down the country are raving about him I think he's absolutely brilliant uh, ex-Arsenal youth player he was actually a midfielder when he's Worthing a, a, a sort of a Norgard type player but he slipped back as a right back and he looks like he's going to be the the, um, uh, the, the the Dales guard sort of kind of substitutes sort of kind of an overseer is that right uh, yeah I, th- I think uh, from what I've seen of him he's uh, 
because he played against uh, Hendon in the uh, cup final game and he looked really good. He was really standout. He had a lot of uh, Roslev about him, uh, bombing forwards, fantastic first time crosses, really worried the uh, Hendon defence. In fact, there, there are better chances came from him. Uh, so I was very impressed with him and uh, the cameo he did when he came on uh, the other night against uh, Fulham was also show, showed what he's capable of. He looks uh, a proper, proper talent. More stats, more facts. I hope you like these little features that we're bringing to you. If you want to, just go on to whatever side it may be, to iTunes, to whatever podcast holder it is. Like us, subscribe to us. Just say that you're feeling us. Write us a review. We haven't had a review for a while. Just check them out. We might read out a few of the reviews that are up there as well. Please write us a review if you like it as well. And also, coffee, K-O-F-I, if you do it, we're going to put up a link in this podcast description space there as well just buy us a drink buy us a drink with coffee as well if you like what we were doing there's no obligation at all for anything like that we're going to keep doing what we're doing but if you like what we're doing we appreciate it you know if you do buy us a drink i think that somebody did buy us a drink actually this week a few people did buy us a drink we might just give you a little bit of a little bit pick one of them and give us give a little bit of a shout out as well come back to that a little bit later but listen do the manners bill do the manners do the manners yeah there was a brentford film that came out this week Push Up Brentford. It's produced by a Brentford fan and his little production company. And uh, we're sort of very honoured to have been working on that film with them as well. And as you can see, we've got a lot of our photographs, a lot of our footage in there as well. And there are lots of other bits and pieces. There are lots of other people, quite a few other people working on the film as well with Sav and his digital works crew. Well, Sav happens to be in the studio with us now. And after this break, we're going to talk about Push Up Brentford, the movie. So International Week means that we can we can look at around and see what else is going on in around Griffin Park. And it's just mere coincidence that there was a film that came out last Friday. There was a launch at the well, I suppose it's the Water Museum, the Steam Museum, which I've never I've been past for the past 40, 50 years now. Always gone past there, but I've never been inside there. But I was invited down there for the launch of Push Up Brentford and I walked in and there was all sorts of water wheels and steam sort of kind of engines and stuff from the sort of, well, from the industrial age. That was uh, was actually quite interesting. And then you had people that were sitting around in their little bubbles and we had a screen and we watched the, the first ever public viewing of Push Up Brentford, a film made by Sav Karyaku and Matthew Rosenberg from Digital Works, with the help and assistance of a load of um, volunteers and, 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 and helpers as well. And also Besotted were very much involved in actually uh, working together with Sav on this in, uh, in our input and also in actually kind of providing a load of content for it as well, which you will see in terms of video footage and in terms of photographs, in terms of all sorts of stuff and a bit of uh, knowledge as they say and it was very enjoyable to work on as well hand you over to sav sav was the lead man the director the producer the man that's pulled this together sav you were very very happy about pulling this together but it wasn't you that actually kind of instigated it was it no no it it wasn't me it was uh we we uh some people probably know we made a film about uh the breweries in west london uh sort of young's fullers and uh what is in mortlake and uh, at the end of that, we had a, a little uh, meeting with the volunteers just to say thank you for all their hard work. And as we often do, we just said, uh, anyone got any ideas about what we could do next? And uh, one of the volunteers, Bob Hall, said, uh, Brentford Football Club. And I just thought, well, that's, that's just a stupid idea. <laughs> Who wants to watch a film about Brentford Football Club? And, uh, and other people said it was a good idea. And uh, as you know, I then 
had a meeting with you and Dave and uh, put the idea to you and you said you'd support it and uh, thought it was a good idea. Uh, then we went to the club, they thought it was a good idea. Um, Community Sports Trust, they thought it was a good idea. So you got the thumbs up from everyone. So that was quite exciting. So once once I knew everyone was, was on board, I got really behind it and uh, thought it was a great, you know, great thing for, for digital works to do, but also for the important thing was to get fans involved. And uh, so we put a call out for volunteers and uh, it, was, it was just fantastic. You know, they're just, every, you know, got loads of people just champion of the bit to do it and putting their hands up and saying, yeah, 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 we want to do it. And uh, so we got a group of volunteers together and uh, from, just went on from there. We trained them up. Um, Laney came along and did a, a history workshop with them. So, because they weren't all, you know, some of them were quite young, so they didn't know the history way back. And um, and it was like really interesting because our volunteers were aged between 16 and 73. So that was quite uh, quite a group quite a group to, to have with us and uh, uh, they were trained up in interview skills as well and um, we, they came up with the questions, they did the interviewing, me and Matthew just ran the canvas to film it and uh, we took it from there and it was a really, really lovely project. And the whole idea of the project is that you're, in effect, you're trying to get the fans' voice, the fans' view, the fans' memories of Griffin Park. And we're talking about historic memories. We're not talking about sort of kind of, you know, you know, the, the, the promotion um, playoff game against Middlesbrough a few years ago or, you know, or the fact that, that even, even the fact that we went up, you know, or even the Doncaster game, you know, even though some of these things might have been mentioned, you know, we're talking about a little bit more historic um, events, aren't we? Yeah, it's not just about when it happened, but it's about uh, how you felt about it. So it's very much trying to get the feelings of fans. Uh, like one of the questions is, uh, what are, what do other people view your supporting Brentford as? You know, so people are saying, well, they thought I was a, I was a, I was weird, or you know, I was a loser, or whatever. So it's about how how you you feel as a Brentford fan. So it's it's quite, it's, but also why you became a Brentford fan. So many people have different reasons why they became Brentford fans, and so there's all that kind of emotional stuff, and uh, you know what Brentford means to people, and what the ground means to people. So it's it's uh, yeah, it's more of an emotional roller coaster rather than oh my my first game was this and it was like this and this happened and my favourite player was this and this. It's much more. Uh, yeah, emotional rather than just like historical facts. I think the the proofs in the pudding. You know, the, the some the comments that you've you've received from you know on, on social media and, and and obviously at at the event, kind of underline how how you have you have captured that unique Brentfordness. Um, you know, not everyone's going to have it in the exact same uh, carbon story of of how you know that they got introduced to Brentford or what Brentford means to them but they're certainly going to be able to identify with everything they hear in the film um you know it's, it's it, Brentford fans aren't glory hunters Brentford fans aren't there just for the football Brentford fans are there because they've got a, a unique connection between each other and then a place and football is kind of or has been secondary in most years to that story and it's only been the last probably five or six or seven where the football's kind of overtaken everything else because we, we're as well as being a great club and a great ground in a great part of London we're actually a great we're actually good 
as well. You know, that's, that's, that's the ingredient that's been missing for so many years. In fact, for all of the post-war years, really. Um, and I think it was important you were able to capture a little bit of the, uh, like that, that, the war, you know, that, that greatness. There was one, there were one or two fans that you interviewed that were able to like have that baton back to the Harry Curtis years where, you know, we were a massive club in London. You know, we, we're becoming that again. Um, but, you know, we, we actually were. And, uh, you know, I think it's great that you were able to, you know, as I said, capture someone, um, people that were, were, were witness to just how great that era was. Yeah, one of our interviewees, uh, Ed Cohen, um, his first game was February 48 and uh, it was uh, an 8-2 win against Berry. And uh, but the, the following game, uh, which he also went to, was the uh, our biggest ever crowd. Um, the game against Leicester in February '48, and uh, although we lost two nil, you know he, he recounts this lovely story of uh, get, getting there really early. But the place was packed. It was at the Royal Oak, and it was packed. And he was a like nine year old kid, and you know and uh, he was one of those people that you know you see the famous photograph of a kid being handed down. Uh, you know, over people's heads to go down to the front, and uh, he was he was one of those kids. It's a lovely story the way he recounts it, and you really feel like you're you're part of of his story. And talking about Ed Cohen, I mean, we're going to have a little listen to what Ed Cohen had to say on the Push Up Brentford documentary right here. Well, my first match was an amazing match because it happened to be the match when we beat Berry eight two, and the second match I saw was about a week later, or ten days, I can't remember exactly when, a week later, when we played Leicester City in the sixth round of the FA Cup, and we lost 2-0, unfortunately. It was a, an amazing match, because when I got to the ground at 1.30 for a three o'clock kickoff, they were almost about to close the gates. And the gate man said to me, oh, you'll never see anything, you're ever so small. I said, well, I'll, creep, I'll crawl through the legs. And I got to the back of the Brook Road stand, where I normally stood, and a guy there said, oh, he said, you're a shrimp. He said, yeah. Yeah, he said I'll lift you over. Here, yeah, Harry, le- help me lift him over. So two guys picked me up and passed me over the heads of the people. They all put their hands up and passed me down to the front. And uh, I found myself right at the front row, behind the railings and behind the goal, where uh, Alf Jeffries was, was in goal. In the early years when I attended, because we were in the second division, it was virtually all standing except for the seating along uh, Braemar Road, though it was all standing, lots of people, the average crowd when I started going for home games was about 22,000, between 20 and 25,000 and uh, there was a lot of atmosphere there, it was wonderful. Ed Cohen, he's a bit of a character, wouldn't he Seth? Yeah, he was a really nice guy, uh, there's, there's also, you've got to remember that we couldn't get everything in the film because we had like 23 interviews you know, about an hour and sometimes well over an hour long. And uh, he talks, I mean, he, he remembers the hand grenade at Millwall. He remembers Chick Brodie getting attacked by a dog. Uh, he actually remembers the very first, he was there at the very first floodlit game at Griffin Park, which Laney probably, hopefully, as our historian knows about. And he says it was an 8-0 win against some international opposition that he can't remember who it was. So I don't know if Laney knows. Oh well, uh, I, I know that era. I mean, they they played loads of those those games. You know, they it was like the new thing, the newfangled thing in football, where 
you know, there was witchcraft involved where they could play football in the dark. So uh, yeah, did we 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 played we played we played almost every week. I think really against some guest teams from all the way around Europe. Right. You reckon it was around 52-53, so uh, it must be quite impressive, your very first floodlit game ever. L- lovely guy, and as I say, like the, uh, all the interviews are on the pushupbenford.org.uk website, so if you if you watch the film and you like somebody, you think, oh, they're interesting, just, just listen to their full interviews, because uh, there's loads of really great, fascinating stuff that we couldn't get in the film. And you know, and, the, and also the, I mean, the process because obviously, I mean, we sort of sat down and uh, we had the meeting at, at Waterloo, and then it went forward. We had the meeting with Bradford as well. You know, you guys pulled it all together. You pulled, you know, your thing, and then we said, right, who are we going to chat to? And then there was a, you know, there was a bit of pooling of people, you know, to chat to. And and, and in the end, you know, I'm just going to ask you, you know, as sort of the filmmaker, the person pulling this together, were you were you happy with the balance of, you know, because we sat around, you know, yourself, you, me, Laney, we said we need to need to get a good balance of people for this movie. Were you happy with the balance? Do you think it sort of kind of reflected Brentford? Well, what I liked is that the fact that we were using the volunteers and the volunteers would. Uh say, oh, you know, this, uh, there was one person who, who's not a football fan at all. She's just into, into social history. And she was the one that said, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we could interview somebody who lives on Braemar Road? So somebody who's really local where, you know, the club is like, you know, in their back garden kind of thing. So I thought that was quite interesting. And we, we managed to get Kenny Raymond, uh, you know, who lived on Braemar Road for many years and grew up around there. So he, he was interesting. And uh, they also... People thought, oh, you know, there's the, the four pubs. We get so used to the four pubs. But somebody said, maybe we should get a landlord or a landlady from one of the four pubs. And that's how we got uh, Claire Peleshka from uh, Griffin. And, you know, she was great. So we got these really great interviews that I wouldn't have thought of. But because we've got a group of people, uh, volunteers, who are coming up with ideas, and we did a big brainstorm, you know, and of course, everybody wanted to interview Peter Gillam and Kev O'Connor. And we had them lined up. We even had a date for them uh, to go to Jersey Road and, and uh, interview them. But COVID came along and uh, messed it all up. So uh, that, was, that was a bit, bit annoying. But the one that annoyed me most was um, we also had Busby uh, lined up. And I could just imagine this massive head appearing. You know, where you've got these interviews and then suddenly this massive head appears. <laughs> and you're interviewing Busby. That just would have been brilliant. It's probably quite important to get Busby interviewed before he gets sacked. If, if he's going to go the same way that Gunnosaurus has gone, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very poignant, you know, Bill. He's, he's, probably, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's on furlough at the moment now, isn't he? He's absolutely no requirement for the Busby at the moment now. He's sort of kind of sitting down there. But I'm sure the Busby will reappear. <laughs> but, but anyway, listen, talking about characters that we, you know, like I said to you, put you pulled in for, the, for, for, for your movie as well. Kenny Raymond. Uh, let's have a little listen to what Kenny Raymond had to say on the Push Up Brentford documentary. I got to see my first game when I was about 10 and I only lived three doors down from the main stadium. My dad took me there because I'm so used to watching on TV I thought there's going to be commentary on the game while I'm sitting inside the stadium and to hear there was no commentary I was going, you know, who's got the ball, who's this and who's that? You know, from Brentford fans, you used to hear the monkey chanting when the um, the opposition black fellas were playing, you know, or had the ball. 
there was nothing I felt I could do about it. I could not take on every single fan, otherwise I'd be beaten up every single week. So the only thing I could have done is just have to go along, just listen to it and just ignore it, just, you know, just try and enjoy the game. I did tell me folks what was going on, you know, because I think they would have banned me from going to football. So Kenny Raymond, I mean, I know Kenny for for, for years, actually. I, in fact, I forgot the, the story until when I spoke to Kenny this time. And he reminded me, I remember I told people about the story when I went to Reading when I was very young. And I got chased by about 50 Reading fans down the street when I was about 15 years old. And they were chasing after me saying, get that black car person, you're going to beat him up. And I was very scared, but I was very fast at the time. And I was legging it down the street in Reading. There's three of us, about 50 Reading fans. And all of a sudden, this car pulled up out the blue and the door open and he went jump in and I jumped in the car and he took me around the station and I escaped and that person was Kenny and I completely and utterly forgot that Kenny was my saviour from, from from the hiding that I was going to get at Reading at my first ever away game and Kenny said to me the other day don't you remember Bill you know and in those days you know I mean I didn't have a car but you know this person he's obviously like a few years older than me that had a car I was like oh my god the Brentford fan with a car he's like he's so he's so suave he's <laughs> so sophisticated and he's opened the door to me but anyway then Kenny for years probably used to come on me away trips he came on my away trips I know you like that do you yeah he's come on the away trips and and he talked quite a lot about you know his time at Brentford you know living next to Braemar Road how he kind of you know ended up his uncle was trying to get him down to QPR as he said and he didn't want to go to QPR and he ended up going to Brentford and he went to the game and there was a funny thing that he said that you, you quite liked as well wasn't there Seth? Yeah I, I like the fact that he uh, which I think probably happens to a lot of people because somebody else has said something similar that um, when he went to his first game he was expecting a commentary and he was just like looking at the game and just wondering you know who's that who's that who's that because he, was, he just didn't know any of the players and he just thought there'd be a commentary going on because he just got used to watching football on the telly. The, 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 the biggest thing that, you know, I, I, I've kind of... Put, I, might, I might be right. I don't think I'm repeating myself, but I think, I think what you did is you really did capture the essence and I think you probably, you know, you could have spoken to a thousand different fans and they would have said a thousand different things and it, it wasn't that kind of project you couldn't you couldn't speak to everyone but I think what was most important that what you did get was the the the, the real heart and soul of the club and I and I, you, I, I know that you captured that because there there probably wasn't a dry eye in the house at the end of you know the end of the hour at the steam museum I think everyone was kind of enthralled with it and um and, and and maybe you know you say that you you know you, you regret not getting Peter Gillam and, and Kev O'Connor and Busby. I think what you actually got because you didn't get them was was more Brentford fans, and and I, and I think it was a better documentary for that rather than to shoehorn. You know, I'm not saying Pete, Peter Gillam isn't a Brentford fan, but I'm saying that there, there's there's more kind of like you know. You, you, you're common a guard and Brentford fans in there because of it. So, you know, I, I think, you know, take a bow, mate, because I think what you've done there is is pretty special. So, well done, mate. Yeah, well, we, we did make a conscious decision because we did interview Marcus Gale, Alan Hawley, uh, Martin Allen, uh, Hugh Powell, who's a sports photographer, uh, and Jim Levac. And we 
purposely decided to leave out um, the professionals. So uh, Jim Levack is there as a fan because most of the time in his interview he's talking about being a fan, though we did ask him what it's like being a journalist for at Brentford and stuff like that. But we, we, we purposely kept that out and we kept the players out and the manager and, and the, the photographer because we, after we got all the interviews, we just knew that the fans were the ones who were going to make this film. And uh, as you say, that the kind of emotion and passion, I think, uh, really comes through. And uh, I think we made the right decision. And just going back to that Kenny interview as well, I mean, as you're hearing that clip, he talks quite a bit about, you know, the racism that he suffered at Brentford back in the, well, the 80s, as it was. And, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, hearing it from as well from another a Black Brentford fan. I mean, in those days, I mean, I could tell you, you literally could count the amount of Black Brentford fans on one hand, how many went to the games. I mean, I, I, I knew them all. And, you know, me and Kenny, we never used to go to the games together. He was older than me, so he used to stand probably separately. I think he used to stand in the Braemar Road. But what was interesting is, Lee, when he talked about how he went to the game and people were saying things around him. Even Brentford fans were saying things, racist things around him, but he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't say anything about it because he felt hopeless because you're on your own. And I just thought, I mean, I talked about it as well in the movie, how you are so much on your own because you kind of got your mates in football, but then when it comes to things like that, you kind of like sort of people seem to melt away in the background and you're standing there on your own. But he said, I couldn't do anything about it. I just had to sort of kind of, kind of ignoring it. I hope it went away. But then the most interesting thing as well that he talked about is he said, but I couldn't tell my dad because my dad wouldn't let me go to football. Because in those days, it was very rare for a black person to go to football because they knew that there was a lot of racism at football. There was the whole skinhead thing going on. There's a lot of kind of bad things that were happening in football if you were black. And most black parents wouldn't allow their parents to go to football I was lucky because my parents probably didn't know that I went. I was playing football in the park, and uh, uh, you know, at one o'clock in the afternoon. Then somebody used to sort of sneak me down there, so they didn't know for sort of quite a while that I used to go. And uh, Kenny had the same thing where he couldn't tell his parents, even though they lived right beside the ground. And that was kind of like interesting and quite indicative of what was happening in that age. And uh, a lot of those kind of old school things and and and, and that, those historic feelings and th- those things that happened back in the time were actually really kind of recalled by a lot of the fans, not only the black fans like myself and Kenny, but also other fans like, you know, Joe Whelan, who we're going to talk to uh, or going to listen to what she says in a little bit as well, weren't they, Seth? Yeah, that, that, that's right. I think well, one of the things we were trying to do, obviously, was to try and get a a wide range of fans so it's not just ages but also uh, sort of gender and you know sexual preference and and uh, and race and stuff so and I think we, we managed to do that and but you've also got you know fans who are talking about how um, sort of you know violence for instance was they were, you know they were quite honest they said it's actually quite exciting you know uh, Dave Christie for instance who, who talks about he, you know, he said, oh, I have to be honest, you know, that that kind of friction, that sort of tension and that sort of threat of violence being around was actually really exciting. That was partly one of the reasons he got involved in football, because it was exciting. He, he never got involved in the violence, but just, just to be near it, he said, was really exciting. So, you know, you, the, all these stories come from different places. And that's, that's what all history is about. All history is about telling a story from different angles and that's how you build up a story that's how you find the truth so 
and, and, and it's interesting and you talk about that I and mean, we're harking back to you know we talked about the racism angle there which was happening we can't we can't shy away from it we talk about how the club reacted back in the day to to the racism which they basically ignored it they just just blanked it you know like I said to you we talked about fans when they went to the club and they, they did nothing I and mean, we went to, to the CEO and he just did nothing but also it's interesting fans are actually talking about the, the violence in around Brentford as well some people said they didn't see anything they just didn't think anything had happened whereas other people said they you know it did happen you know and we were talking about I mean I talked about a story of when we went to Birmingham City and uh, one of, one of our, it's actually one of our lot who completely wound the Birmingham City fans up all game and then he left 10 minutes before the end and, uh, and the Birmingham City fans were so unhappy with us and then they they were waiting for us outside in their droves well while he was in his car down the m m40 on the way home sort of quite happily Sorry, you, 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 and you didn't, uh, you didn't quite, name him but i know exactly who it is <laughs> you, you know exactly who it is it's so typical like you know what i'm saying it's like thank you thank you very much like, lads i've got to go it's looking a little bit uh a little bit tasty bill william a little bit tasty william that's right a little bit Oh god, that was that was a moment of everyone's faces when he just left. Because well, you, you you just wound them up and you're just you're just leaving us. It's like what, what are you doing? No, it's, it's not looking too good there, Bill. I don't, I don't fancy our chances. I thought I thought I'd leave early. Cheers. <laughs> so, but, but but the thing is, these things happen. So you can't sort of kind of sugarcoat them or pretend that they didn't. And people are saying, ah, oh, you're glorifying. It's not a case of glorifying. You're sort of kind of telling the story of kind of what happened. Like me talking about the story of what happened when I went to my first game at Reading when I was 15. I had 50 people chasing me down the street. Literally, that is what happened. So, you know, and that's what is, you know, that is what is actually really history about, you know, interest. And that's, you know, when you go to a museum, you know, you go to a slavery museum, you look on, on, the, on the shelves on the wall and they will tell you what happened, you know, in the slavery era, you know, when, when certain people were going around the world and basically enslaving people. That is what happened. You can't get away from it. It is a fact. But I'm not bringing this into slavery. I'm just giving an example as to why you... It's all about telling the story. It's about telling the story. It is a real eye opener, and you, you have you have to listen to pe- other people's learned experiences. You you do have to do that, and you know no one's no one's saying you know anyone that's part of this film is better than anyone else that's not part of this film. It's it's literally just listening to people's stories, and most of which we can we can kind of share. You know, they're they're common they're common experiences. So you know, I think that's that's the thing we have to bring out of this is just that you you li- if you listen to enough people who are telling the truth and <laughs> telling their stories, you can kind of associate with it, and I, and I think most people will do. And so, I mean, just talking about the film as well, I mean, there's another person on this movie. I mean, that's like I said, there's lots of people, some great people who tell some great stories as well. And this is one person I'm, I'm very close with. And, and the reason why she's the person that actually took me to my first ever Brentford game and bunked me over the, the turnstiles. And I'll tell that story on the documentary there as well. But Joe, as well, Joanne, who is a bit of a character as we said we've we've managed to sort of kind of drag her out and finally get her on a few podcasts recently she's been absolutely brilliant and she spoke on the the push it out documentary and and she was again brilliant because she just told it as it is violence even though it was sort of violent it wasn't violent if you get what i mean it was more just running through you know oh we took that end it wasn't like knives certainly not at Brentford anyway but when you look back now 
you think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was involved in it. And the adrenaline, it's just, and I think it sort of G'd you up for the game then. I'm not saying that I never did throw a punch. I was just in that crowd, so I would throw a punch. I was part of a big group. You know, there would sometimes be 20, 30 of us standing outside the bricklayers and chairs are going to come flying through. So, yeah, you would. I would pick up a chair and maybe lob it back at them out the window and things like that. Not something I'm proud of, but at, the, the, at that time you would just be caught up in the moment. You could go weeks and weeks without any hassle down at Brentford. You know, out of, say, 20-odd games down there, there could only be two occasions in a season that you might see something. So it wasn't all the time. Joanne, she was right in the thick of it in the sort of in the late seventies and the early eighties. She was right in there with the crew, with the characters. She went home and away. She knew everybody. Um, she was brilliant. She was a great friend to me and her friend Anne Helwig, R.I.P. I'll say she was a lovely girl and uh, a black Brentford female black Brentford fan in the days who didn't mess about. She mm. she she didn't take any messing from anybody, bloke or girl. They didn't care. And <laughs> as me as a little kid, she used to protect me. Which, is, which, I've, which I used to love. Both of them used to protect me and also Anne's other sister as well. And uh, she just told some stories and some tales as, as to what it was about the away days, about what, you know, used to happen in, in, in the pubs and also, you know, the trips that she used to go on. And, and Joe was was really refreshing um, addition to the, to the documentary. Not saying other people weren't, but but, but it was, wasn't it, Sev? Yeah, uh, she, she, was, she was fantastic. She was really honest. And she actually came up to me at the end of the... Uh, the, the premiere and said oh I'm really worried I might lose my job because like, people think <laughs> people think I'm some kind of violent nutter and uh, but, but in, in reality what she was saying throughout was that she was there at a time in the 70s and 80s when things were, were really rough there was lots of racism there was lots of uh, violence going on but the, the violence was different it was basically people trying to take your end and sort of throwing punches and all you were doing was literally just defending yourself if someone's running through and throwing punches you're going to throw punches back and if you're if you're in the bricklayer's arms like like she would be and a Luton fan sticks a, a chair through the window you're going to throw it back and I think that was refreshingly honest what she was saying because a lot of people are sort of you know sort of rode back a little bit about what they used to do when they were younger but she was really, really honest and and I, I think she should be proud of, of what she did the fact she stood up to racists she she held her end, as it were, you know, when, when people were, were coming to, to come and be violent rather than just all walking away and letting them get away with it. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought she was absolutely fantastic, really honest. And uh, as you can hear from the, the, the clip we just played, yeah. So, Sav, tell us, how can we watch Push Up Brentford? Uh, you can watch it on the website, which is www.pushupbrentford.org.uk. Or if you want to watch the HD version, uh, which is on YouTube, you can just uh, search YouTube for Push Up Brentford's documentary and it will come up. And uh, the, the website also holds the, um, the uh, full interviews, but also the edited podcasts, which we did, which add up to about three and a half hours, which were put out by Bisotted on their channel um, over the summer. So... Uh, they're worth uh, listening back to as well if you haven't listened to them. 
Okay, so you've got that as well. Also, if you check the, the description box of this podcast as well, the article that goes this podcast as well, we'll put the link for the Push Up Brentford documentary on there as well. Also, if you check besotted.com, it'll be on there. If you check Besotted Twitter on our Facebook, it'll be on there. You can't get away with it. Push Up Brentford will be everywhere as well. And like I said to you, what was, I tell you something, what I really loved at that as well is that we managed to dig up uh, a couple of loads of old clips that sort of dug up from, from the past. You know, we've got the clip of when we, when we drove down to Dave Webb's house as well. We didn't notice, we didn't actually put the clip in when we went down to Dave Webb's house because we probably thought that might be a little bit inflammatory, you know, but we got, you know, the clips of when we were driving down the motorway and when we pulled up outside, um, we pulled up outside Lancaster Gate. Some people might not have known that, but that was actually Lancaster Gate where the old FA used to be as well. We pulled up right outside the the FA and we just stood up there with this, this, this truck saying, you know, why are you killing Brentford, Mr. Webb, as well. It was just it was quite mental. But like I said to you, lots and lots of old footage from that. But what I did love was the footage of Mr. Push-Up Brentford Man in the globe with the crew. And we've got him to sort of say, Push-Up Brentford! And the whole crew's like, yeah! <laughs> Push-Up Brentford! How long have you been pushing up? 1948! Yeah! And I thought that's actually really sort of kind of captivated the Brentford spirit as well. So you should definitely, definitely go and check out that movie as well on, uh, like I said to you, pushupredford.org.uk, I think it is. I think, just listen back to that as well. And also, this ties in with, um, like I said to you, it's old school Brentford and, you know, where the people watch the games, you know, where Kenny Raymond watched a game, you know, where Joe Whelan watched a game from the New Road. Kenny was in the Braemar Road as well. And also you had... Um, you know, you had uh, Ed Cohen as well, who has been going since the 50s and the 40s, you know, where Kenny Raymond watched a game, you know, where Joe Whelan watched a game from the New Road. Kenny was in the Braemar Road as well. And also you had, um, you know, you had uh, Ed Cohen as well, who has been going since the 50s and the 40s uh, and the 30s as well. You know, um, he actually used to watch Brentford from the from the from the Braemar Road as well. And if you look at the view from their seat, there's a promo that's going on at the moment now, which is my mo. And it's a photograph from your seat at Griffin Park. It's only a tenner and it's branded Brentford. It's got a special number for you. You can put your own special message on there as well. And it's definitely worth checking out because Griffin Park is pretty much no more. So this is the last photograph that has ever taken at Griffin Park. So this is definitely one for you or your friends or your family, your dad, your mum, whoever it may be. It's a tenner. If you check out the link, mymo, M-Y-M-O dot live forward slash Brentford season. So that's mymo dot live forward slash Brentford season. And we are pushing this one because Rob Rowan, who is a good friend of Brentford, every one pound from that photograph that is sold is going to go to the Rob Rowan Heart Charity as well. Like I said to you, Rob Rowan's a big, big, big friend of Brentford. Uh, big, big friend of Brentford. He's massive for Brentford. He also is a very good friend of ours as well. So like I said to you, one pound is going to the Rob Rowan Heart Charity cry. So listen, that's that's just that's a very long podcast, but it's the international break as well. Don't forget, if you want to buy us a drink, go to Kofi, which is KO dash fi.com forward slash besotted as well we put the links in the the description box as well and you can just buy us a drink if you like what we do 
if you don't it doesn't matter you know we've got no problem we're going to carry on doing what we're doing but we're just going to try and get this Kofi up and running as well we've seen a few other people are doing it we just thought tell you something let's just throw it into the pot because uh well you know it'd just be nice to, 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 to pass a drink because sometimes you don't see us in the pub um lady you know any, anything else that you, you sometimes yeah. we need a drink lady anything else you figured of i know it's an international weekend but you know it's it's, it's pretty you know it's, it's different with no football it's not it's like you know i know i know that you're sort of kind of pulling up boxes and there's nothing else real going on this weekend is there no, no, no. I'm, I'm not. It's a football-free weekend. I, I will watch. I will watch the England game on on Thursday, and there's, you know, I will. I will try and grab um, one of the games where Brentford players are involved. Um, but uh, no, it's, 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 it's kind of a, It's one of those where you just like take a dig, big deep breath, like Donald Trump did on the terrace last night, and um, and. Get 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 ready get ready to go again for the uh, for the for the championship season, which is going to be quite a crazy one again. Get ready to rumble, listen, Sav, and, and you on Saturday. I mean, you push up Brentford is out, and it's happening. You can take a deep breath. Are you just going to be putting your feet up now and getting getting the cigar pipe out and just chilling? That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to chill. I'm going to watch some old films on Talking Pictures TV, which is what I love to do on a Saturday afternoon when there's no football, and hopefully it's raining outside as well. It just makes it even better. That's right, that's right. There's no football for me. Like I said to you, I had my non-league spurge last week. I'm not going to be doing it this week, but I, as you probably know I've got into my little football coaching now. We had a first game last week and my team won, which is it. So I'm very happy about that. But um, we've got a very hard game coming on Saturday. So I'm going to be up nice and early, still doing football on a Saturday morning with the kids out there, which has actually been very, very pleasurable. Support grassroots football, everybody, as you know, going out there. But listen, this is the besotted pride of West London podcast and a very pleasurable podcast talking about lots of other things not only about Brentford but talking about Brentford history and other bits and pieces my name is Billy Grant I'm here with Laney I'm here with Sav and we've had a great time talking about Brentford and the push up Brentford documentary that you can check out but we're going to have a weekend of chilling with football chilling with films and whatever else as we start come on you that was very international that was Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.